from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where as usual we count down the top 10 topics of the week that made us go wow. Um, I'm co-founder of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey, joined by our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell, and Hello. the legendary Jane St. James, editor of The Wow Report, and of course, Blake. Hi. Who needs no second? I thought it was someone, I thought we had a special guest from Duck Dynasty this week. <laughs> I remember Duck Dynasty. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <sighs> so let's get into the countdown. Could you do it with a little more energy? All right, then? more energy. One more time. More energy. Let's get into the... I can't wait for this week's countdown. I can't wait to see what's number one. But first, we have to start <laughs> at number 10. Tom. Number 10. It was announced this week. This is a showbiz story, but it affects us all because we all love showbiz. And that is that CAA, the giant uh, talent representation company, which, spoiler alert represents World of Wonder among 900,000 other clients. Um, and there's a building called the Death Star. It's, it's shaped like the Death Star Star Wars. They, are, they bought ICM, the fourth largest agency, to create this mammoth, truly Death Star of representation. And Hollywood's all a buzz. No one really knows what's going to happen. I'll just say that I'm old enough to remember in the late 80s, early 90s, when agencies were formed because agencies got too big, like ICM got too big and four maverick agents, you know, snuck out with their Rolodexes in the middle of the night and created Endeavor Agency, which has gone on to create like William Morris, you know, they've, they've, they've since, you know, years and years later, they've conglomerated. But it's no, it's no longer about boutique agencies. It's not about <laughs> your clients. It's not about quality. It's becoming mega, 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 huge, unfathomable. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, is agency, is this going to save the agencies? Is this going to make them more money? Is our agents kind of dead and over? And just because the, the, the Netflix of the world are so massive and huge that they don't really negotiate with anybody. They do it their own way. And with streaming, you know, there's no longer that theatrical release of the big paycheck to those celebrities that then goes to the agents. So anyway, what do you make of but, this mess? Tom, with your, with, if, you, if World of Wonder has new overlords that are just taking over, do, does it really behoove us to, to talk smack about them? I mean, they don't he's talking phil- philosophical business type stuff. I mean, uh, you know, is it, the, is it the waxing of the agents or is it the waning of the agents? And sometimes consolidation yes. means that everything's getting bigger and thrusting forward. And sometimes consolidation means it's not going so well. And, um, Con, you know, conglomeration doesn't always mean things are getting bigger and better. But, but, but Tom is right, because paradoxically, the media is getting bigger, much bigger. The media universe is, is rapidly infinitely expanding. And yet the quality of the media seems to be going oh, down. Oh, that's another topic, James. <laughs> James, you watch TV 19 hours of the day. How can you say the quality is Well, because if you... Compare the quality of what Netflix was about a year ago or two years ago with okay. the crap that they're just pouring. Now that you can't talk okay. crap about Netflix. That's more important than talking crap about your agents. <laughs> the wondrous just... stuff that Netflix is doing as opposed to Hulu, which is crap. 
no, we're working with them too. Netflix oh, yeah. is 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 is, is, uh, and, uh, is streaming content waxing or waning. We've got to keep it philosophical at all exactly. times. Exactly, okay. at all times. If you want to talk smack, James, you talk about Wow Presents Plus. Say, <laughs> and you do. The last year has just gone down so much. <laughs> no, but there is, you know, there's something about agents in general. They're like lawyers, right? There's, you, you know, uh, I guess you can like your agent as a person, but the agents take 10% of what you do. You know, when I first moved to Hollywood a thousand years ago, someone said to me, you need an agent at the beginning of your career and toward the end of your career. You don't need them in the middle of your career. And the only times your agents pay uh, attention to you is in the middle of your career when you're doing well because you're making the money. But when you're struggling or when you're on your way down, they're kind of like, see you later, alligator. Um, but, uh, I don't know. And the story from the CA agents are like, oh, we've been friends with, you know, ICM agents for 30 years. We've been talking about this for 30 years. And, you know, their positioning is client first, client first, client first. That's, that's our, the philosophy. We share the same soul and it's really about owning wrestling federations and, you know, just finding other ways to create their own content because representation just isn't the same. And by the way, people, not everybody, and there's, in the, you know, none of this is broad strokes, but people get famous off their Instagram accounts, off their TikTok. You know, it's like the idea that you need to somehow be ushered into the world. And those people probably get agents, but it's, it's I don't know, everything's changing so rapidly. Will there be an app that replaces CAA? I don't know. I think that's beautifully said. A very politically uh, navigating a tightrope there. And um, we love our agent, by the way, Jonathan Sweden, if you're listening. Actually, you do. Jonathan does listen to his show. Yes. And it's not, a, it's not dirty, but, it, you know, it's, by the way, Hollywood eats this stuff up. It's like it's a huge change. There's gossip. There's, there's stories. And, and, and it's, somehow I would think, though, that, that agents would be a little more important in the age of TikTokers and things like that, where suddenly all these people are making billions of dollars a year. It, it seems like there's a, a lot more wealth accumulating among stars who need help as opposed to what they did 10 years ago? Or am I sort of barking up the wrong tree here? But I just think you can be a TikTok uh, star without an agent. And I, the, the real power dynamic that's clear to me is places like Netflix and, you know, ABC buying Disney and or vice versa. You know, it's like now it's like they have so much power. They're like, this. these are the, these, these are the rules you can't negotiate. You know what I'm saying? And, and then the whole WGA strike about packaging fees, you know, agency, again, and they have to change to survive. Everything has to change. So I'm not saying it's for the better or for the worse, but it's different. And, and people are anticipating a number of um, layoffs, you know, as there's, you know, the, the, the ugly S word, synergy, where, uh, you know, every, where they start to, when you used to do one job, now you get to do two or three or four. Uh, anyway. We know about that at World. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, James. Bring it on. Have a giant moan. Let's go. Number nine. James and James. Wayne's about World of Wonder. Number nine. Number nine. I just wanted to revisit for a minute um, American Horror Story Double Feature, which uh, we talked about earlier. It was um, The first part was about a, a vampires in Provincetown, and it starred Macaulay Culkin. And I waxed on about that and I thought how wonderful it was and it was really fun. Now we are in the second um, series, the sep second part of the, of the series, and this is Aliens, Alien Abductions, 
and it's a whole different story. Um, it uh, has Kaya Gerber instead of Macaulay Culkin, Kaya Gerber, Cindy Crawford's daughter, who is absolutely fantastic. She's really fun. She's scintillating on screen. She burns up the screen. She's just gorgeous. Um, this, it's, this is actually two parts. It started last night. It started this week. Um, and the first part is 1954, Roswell, when an alien uh, spaceship crashes in the desert, and it's all black and white. And um, they find Amelia Earhart wandering in the desert in 1954, and she's played by, um, uh, who is it? Cherry uh, Jones. No, Lily Rabe, who is always in these things. <laughs> and then um, uh, Sarah Paulson is Mamie Eisenhower, which is really fun. She's really great in it. Um, and then the second part, all of a sudden it's in the modern times, and that's Kaya Gerber and her friends. And they've all decided to take a uh, tech-free vacation camping in Joshua Tree, which right there you think tech-free. You're going somewhere without a phone, without set GPS. And sure enough, the minute they're there, they run across some vivisected cows that are, like, dead but still mooing. And then their truck is – of light beams down on the truck. And suddenly all four of them the – two, there's two queens, Kaya and this other girl. And they're all pregnant. And the boys are pregnant, too. And nobody can figure out what's going on. And so that's that's really fun. But um, it's just – it's I'm really enjoying it. Like I said, I'm – I'm uh, who's McCall's biggest fan now? I'm Ryan Murphy's biggest yeah, fan. Yeah, I was about to roll my eyes when you were talking about, you know, alien abduction and being probed. But then when you said that everyone's pregnant and the boy's pregnant as well, I think that's an interesting twist, right? Or the, 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 yes, and it's funny because it's – you know, it's Ryan Murphy. So they have these two boys – who um, are really hot, and all of a sudden they were roommates, and then they're like, yeah, we were jerking off together one night, and his dick just ended up in my mouth, and now I eat his ass every day. And it's like these just filthy, filthy, that's filthy dialogue that you cannot really? imagine being on television. No, that's exaggerating. About... No, no, I'm telling you, they're talking about, he talks about getting Giardia from eating the, the football player's ass. I mean, like, there's just all this stuff that you know Ryan Murphy is just trying to push buttons, the sensor buttons, and see how far he can go. And it's just fascinating. And then the, the, the other girl, she's talking about how she had a boyfriend, and his jizz was like acid on her skin, and it burned her skin, and she can't figure out what that was. And well, so we've it, all been there. <laughs> well, that's just it, you know. But these are conversations we all have every day, but now they're just on television, and they're on network television. It's just I don't mind. I don't mind sexual conversations. Those sound silly, but I still don't mind them. No, well, that, that's just it. And he, you can tell Ryan Murphy is trying to push some buttons here with this conversation that these kids is trying to be modern and trying to, this is what kids talk about now. And, you know, they talk about uh, acid jizz and um, uh, eating ass. How, and that's the way the world how is deja now. vu. Um, okay, so moving on to number eight. Number eight. This is one for us to talk about. Office politics. So, as you know, um, well, the pandemic isn't over, but people are returning to work. And recently, um, they, someone did a survey in the UK, in fact, a, a startup, a health startup called The Gut Stuff. And they talked to 2,000 adults, and they basically learned that 53% of workers feel uncomfortable having to go to the bathroom at work. And not just go to the bathroom, but actually go number two. And... And the survey further went on to say that 28% um, will use the facilities on another floor in the office. I think that's kind of brilliant. Um, 
18% said they were willing to hold it in all day. Um, and so, or cameling, as that is, is known. That, I don't know. Oh. I learned something every day. Yeah, you know, you're cameling it. You're cameling your poo. Okay. And, and so basically, the, the, the big sort of hiccup here in the return to work is that 18% of UK workers fear full-time return to the office because of their fears about pooing at work. Now, hold on. I do want to say that there is another whole group of people who will hold it in at home and do it so that they can poop on the company time. Poop on on the company dime is what they say so that they can get paid to poo and stink up the office. That is a whole (laughs) thread on Reddit right now. I do want to talk about that. I just feel so out of touch. You're right. Um, Yeah, and it's it's like if I'm going to poo, I'm going to do it. um, Randy and Fenton are going to pay for it. I I was uncomfortable pooping anywhere until I started at World of Wonder, and now I'll poop on any floor. Well, in fact, I remember, Blake, that you had a note from your principal saying that you were allowed to go home and poop during school because you were so uncomfortable pooping. My dad was the superintendent at school, and my mom worked there. And the one good thing about having both your parents at school every day is that my mom would go up to the office and be like, Blake needs to go home for a little bit. And I'd go home and poop. And you would go home and poop because you didn't want to poop at school. Well, now, I know that personally I have a bashful bowel syndrome is what you were what you're talking about. Well, I think I've only pooped in public three times in my life, and I could tell you all three times. I don't think all, I will. All three times were filmed. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. No, I will camel it all day until I get well, home. Well, look, it's cool. Growing mm-hmm. up. Growing up, I never went to the bathroom at school. It's just like I woke up, I was like running around. I would I would go home after school, take a you know a dump or whatever, and then go to football practice, or whatever. I have to tell you, kids, that I do not have the choice of cameling or not cameling at this point in my life. It's like when you got you got a floppy old sphincter. Is it you're an old man you sphincter? Go. I just think I think I have more of a liquid diet. Let's just go there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is See, the, the, you, Fenton, you were upset a few minutes ago that we were talking about eating ass, and this conversation has completely just gone to shit, I tell you. This conversation actually has a positive thing, because uh, Lisa and Alana McFarlane, who started the gut stuff, they say that employers have a responsibility to make sure that their team's health and well-being is supported in the back-to-work transition, and they further offer some advice which is nobody cares as much as you think they do. They're all too busy worrying about themselves. So that's, that's how to deal with shy bowel syndrome. And another suggestion is to tell a poo joke. So I'm going to tell a poo joke. How can you tell if a clown just farted? How can you tell if a clown just farted? How they smell funny. The clown, clown just farted. <laughs> <laughs> they smell funny. Uh, hey. hey, did you hear about the constipated accountant? Oh, no. He couldn't no. budget. <laughs> he couldn't budget. Budget. Ah. Uh, <laughs> How okay. many more of these do we have? Do you want to hear a poo joke? One more. Yes, one more. Got to do three. Nah, yes, that, they all stink. <laughs> I gotcha. gotcha. All right. Um, so now that we're all comfortable pooing at work, let me just tell you that RuPaul's Drag Race UK season three is back on. Well, now that's a, <laughs> that's a segue. 
I'm so good at them. Thursdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on WoW Presents Plus worldwide, excluding UK and Canada. You get WoW Presents Plus at www.wowpresentsplus.com. You can watch it on your mobile phone while you're taking a... You can. That's a good use of time. Multitasking. Guys, I'm really uncomfortable with all of this. (laughs) The whole show? So far. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. A very classy countdown of the top ten things that made us go... Girl. (laughs) Okay. Um, We're counting down the top ten things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven. Number seven. You know, this popped up in my feed, and I wanted to talk about it, but the um, recently paroled Lori Laughlin, who, you know, went to jail for a couple months for that scandal of paying for her college admission of her two daughters, she's out and she's returning to acting. Um, I don't know any of these shows that I'm, I'm going to name check them. You know, she was formerly the star of When Calls the Heart, a Hallmark series. Um, but they're doing a spinoff called When Hope Calls, uh, which is back for a second season on the new GAC family. So I guess, remember Great American Country um, uh, when we go and pitch? That's now GAC family. And whoever ran Hallmark, now runs GAC Country, and he's doing to GAC. He's, he's hallmarkifying GAC Country, so he's bringing Lori with him. How do you feel about Lori being readmitted into show business, readmitted into into society? No, no, can't cast her out. Cast her to the to the dog. She she broke our covenant. She is she she hasn't paid her dues. She needs to she needs to stay in jail a bit longer. I say no. She went to prison longer for longer than some murderers do. Well, but has she but has she truly repented? Has she ever said she's sorry? Does her is her daughter still in the school? I think all these questions need to be answered before we allow her back into the GAC family. Well, her daughter's must be 35 by now. I mean, it's been such a long time. <laughs> but uh I mean, I you know, Lori, it's just you know, they someone sleuthed this out out because her she went to her the court asking for permission to fly to Canada, which you know all Hamrock uh, movies are shot in the same one spot in Canada. Um, so, uh, you know, she hasn't, but this is the beginning of what will be, I think her, her, uh, redemption tour. Cause she'll, this show will be on. She'll do, she'll do interviews for the first time. Well, there'll be exclusives and things. Now, Martha Stewart, as you may recall, was sent to jail, spent some time, got out and came out kind of different. She wasn't gone that long either, but she really was, it sort of, it dirtied her. It dirtied her. It mussed up her hair in a way that made her kind of more exciting. And, it, um, and she came out with a sense of humor about it and was able to go on a tour, uh, sort of an apology tour, in which she was able to trot out some jokes and her new friend Snoop Dogg. And it, people really liked her because of it because it brought her down a peg or two. Yeah. I think Lori Laughlin doesn't have a peg or two that she can afford to fall because she's so far down in, in the dumps anyway. Oh, my God. And I think, you know, Lori, you know, we get the celebrities we deserve. And Lori, their actions as parents are, to me, are emblematic, not right, but emblematic of what's going on in America, which is wealthy parents 
feel such, all parents must feel a pressure, but wealthy parents have feel the pressure and have the means to get their kids to the best schools, to the best camps, to the best colleges. And she was, you know, she got caught up in that. Uh, you know, I'm not making excuses for it. But it's just, that oh, sense of entitlement that you say have, is so emblematic of everything that's wrong with the country. People have been giving money to universities and colleges for decades. How do you think, um, who's, the, who's, the, who's Ivanka's um, freaking... Ivanka's. Who's Ivanka's father? Hello. Who's Ivanka's father? Jared. Anybody? Anybody? Jared. Anybody know? Jared. Jared Kushner. Thank you. And how Jared he got Kushner. No, no, it's it's absolutely. I'm just saying she's doing what she's doing a version. You're right, Fenton. I'm not saying it's right. It's wrong. She got caught. Thank God she hand slapped. But, but there's no. a difference between um, um, what is it at, at Harvard when there's the uh, legacy yeah, children. There's legacy. There's there's always been legacy children at, at universities, and they've always been parents who donate and everything like that. And that seems on the up and up to me. But the, what she did was a little like a little skeevier and a little more underhanded. And I, um, I, it's I don't very know. Hollywood. It's very, get me the best table. It's, it's very just entitled. I get, get Birkin brought to my house before they're in the store. You know, it is, but I think it's emblematic. It's, yes. It's, yes. Yes. Tom, that's exactly the same attitude. Yes. And it's that white Lotus kind of attitude. Yes. Too, you yes. Know? Yes. White Lotus that yes. Fenton refuses to see. And well, if Benson would understand this conversation, if he would just break the, down and watch White Lotus. White is, he's afraid he's going to see it, and it's gonna, it's gonna, he's going to identify too close. He's to going to see himself in it, yes. is what you're yes. absolutely right. You're you going to see what the future of, of Nolan and Elliot. Oh, God. <laughs> the abuse. Or whatever their names are. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, it'll be interesting. I think you bring up at some point, James, it'll be interesting to see if she can win people back. Because she it, is a exactly, villain. exactly, and I'm on the, I'm not on the, I'm on the, the anti Lori's. If she can win me over, then she's really got something. Oh my god! Well, let's get to it. Number six, James. Number six. I've been, I've been in a weird mood all week long. I don't know if you can tell. That explains a lot. <laughs> I have. I've been oh feeling a out of sorts, and I have been able to 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 track it. To this weekend, I went to go see a Pink Floyd exhibit on Hollywood Boulevard, right across the street from World of Wonder at the Vogue Theater right there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about this. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, Pink Floyd. I don't know if you're fans of Pink Floyd. Fenton, I imagine you probably are. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's a really spectacular exhibit. It was done in conjunction with the surviving members of Pink Floyd, and it's all the um, – the lyrics, the handwritten lyrics, it's all the, the actual synthesizers that they invented. And you have like video where interviews with them talking about how they, you know, invented the sounds that were on the albums that sort of changed the way music was forever. You would never have Kraftwerk or, you know, Depeche Mode if you didn't have that early synthesizer work with Pink Floyd. You go through step by step each album. By the time you get to like Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall, they have the costumes from the movie they have the props from the movie it's just this really spectacular spectacular exhibit i think if you're in hollywood you should definitely go um so basically it's a celebrity storage space turned into a museum exactly yes but if you're a fan of of um of, of pink floyd and there's there's just so much there and like i said there's like you take a, a audio tour going through from interview to interview with all the different members and everything and then you go into this giant room and there's three different screens playing different videos and there's one called 
Arnold Lane. Do you know this song from the 60s, Fenton? Arnold yes, Lane. Did I, what? I wasn't there in this. With a video. It's just this video, and they were such adorable little hippies. You forget how cute they were. They were really adorable. It's really fun. But then all of a sudden, they, you, you're in a concert, and they are singing Comfortably Numb. And there's a lyric from Comfortably Numb about how um, when I was a child, I caught a fever, and I caught a fleeting glimpse out of the corner of my eye, and I turned to look, and it was gone. The dream is dead. The child is gone. Do you know this? Do you remember this lyric? I have become comfortably numb. And when it came on the screen and they were singing it, I burst into tears. Like, there's this whole room full of people, and something about this lyric touched something in my childhood head. And I burst, I started crying in the middle of this concert. And I have been out of sorts ever since. And I can't quite put my finger on the dream is dead, the child is gone, I guess, was something that... Hit me. There is something very melancholic about a lot of that output. You know, Welcome to the Machine. Yeah. They were always very cynical about the music industry and Wish You Were Here and Shine On You Crazy Diamond oh. and just... Oh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Yes. So I think there is a song... There's, um, there's one song where they're, they're talking about the making... What's the one song where there's the heartbeat and you hear the, <laughs> the laughter and the, the lunatics... It's the and Dark the Side of the Moon, yes. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. And it, it, they explain about the making of that song, and it just gives me chills every I time. I get chills just hearing you talk about it, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and like I said, it's right across the street from WOW, If you ha- on your lunch break, if you get a chance. I will send you the oh, lyrics to Eclipse. The lyrics to Eclipse are absolutely amazing, and it, it comes at the end of Dark Side of the Moon, and there's a voice wailing. It yeah. builds to this sort of... Back in the day, they used to make pop albums that were like almost like symphonies. They would build from track to track, and they had this sort of they had this and grand each song you know, led into the next song, and it, you know each song would lead yeah. into the next one, and it was like a whole story. It was a whole you know like concept mm-hmm. album, and they yeah. were so good at that. And their covers oh were amazing. God. Remember the one with the man on fire, that's, and yeah, that's, all uh, of that. They had all of by uh, Hypnosis. Hypnosis did all their covers, and. Then the other great thing about this is they have a store next door with some amazing merch, just some really fantastic old, like, tour, Pink Floyd tour T-shirts from, like, the 60s and stuff. Really neat stuff. So I really, if you're in Hollywood, have it and you have a chance to go. It's um, there through the end of October, I believe. Fantastic. Thank you, James. Number five. Number five. Sissy That Walk. Sissy That Walk. Now, I, that could be a controversial title, but it's, this is the backstory. So attendees of a Chinese entertainment industry symposium in Beijing, and the theme of this symposium was love the party, love the country, advocate morality and art. And it was attended by senior CCP communist uh, party officials. Um, and basically... They are appealing to people to consciously abandon vulgar and kitsch inferior tastes, consciously oppose... Well, that lets us out of the... The decadent ideas of money worship, hedonism, and extreme individualism. They are campaigning in China against what they call abnormal aesthetics, against sissy men, against vulgar influencers and performers. James, this is for you... Performers with lapsed morals. 
So, Uh-oh. that's right. So, uh, and they postponed the Hong Kong Gay Games, and um, they deleted dozens of LGBTQ accounts that were run by university students from from WeChat and social media. And now in China, the official policy is um, to have three kids because for a long time they had a one kid policy, and now they want three kids. So they are down on the boy bands with the pretty boy superstars and the makeup. Well, hasn't there been a lot of instances where there have been? Um, I, I'm trying to think of the actress, the Chinese actress who was put into jail because of, she had some weird tax thing and she was jailed and but it was also because of her immorality and so they've been jailing like all sorts of celebrities there and the celebrities are trying to get out of china right now because it's such a a terrifying time it's definitely an anti-celebrity thing but at the point the pointed end of the spear so to speak is this this idea of feminized men that they're very much against feminized men and they think that the problem is that men sit down too much and they're not getting enough exercise and they're doing too much online gaming and so what they 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 see this as a a crisis of manhood and b a a national threat because i think they think that the sort of feminization and the sissy thing and the sort of androgyne thing they see that as a western influence as coming from the west Mm. well what about like just like you know like some of the South Korean and the J-pop, the K-pop and the J-pop yes, boy absolutely. bands, is all that a threat, like BTK yeah. and all absolutely. of that? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Or BTS, it's which nuts. is the big I one. Mean, I mean, it's funny because, you know, gay people get blamed for everything, right? Like, it, you know, it's still that, it's, it's part of what makes um, Drag Race still so powerful and controversial in some ways, is as, as broad as it's gotten, is that it's still taking on this patriarchal idea that if men are sissies or gay men somehow threaten society, or, or just are, are are not okay. Like, what's the big? If anything, all this fluid thing just makes you feel like whatever. Like, oh, just be happy. for sure. But we we do think like that. But I think it's I think it's really fascinating that in China, you know, part of Mao Zedong was that you saw culture. Culture was seen as um, something that was for ordinary people for revolutionary purposes. You know, culture wasn't seen as. Um, it, it, culture had a purpose to reinforce national identity and ideology. And I think that what pop culture is, in some ways, I think they're right in the sense that pop culture is queer culture. You know, it, I, I, think, I think us, the gays, we drive pop culture and have done for many years, actually. And so uh, you're right, Tom. I mean, but it's, it's always something... Everyone's look. I think you're also... I don't know Chinese politics. I'm talking on my ass, but it's like division is how you keep control of people, right? Mm-hmm. Create enemies, create divisions. Well, that's you... Trumpian logic as well. So right, Trump, so like, gay people are bad, the and by color, or you know, and, and or class, or it's and it is horrible. But the, the whole thing, no one wants to talk. It's like there's, I mean, not no one wants to talk about. But I think it's it's also I think it's primal in people. It, it exists everywhere. Homo, you know, fear of the unknown, fear of the other, fear of the of, of you know, some societies worship them, but. Uh, it's it's what damage does it do? do you, you don't recruit people into being gay no even with a que- queer pop culture exactly that's so true and and what actually gives me encouragement is that I, just a certain knowledge that as in the past so now it is doomed to fail 
Well, right? it, it's sort of like when you have the 1950s and the repression of the Hoover era and J. Edgar Hoover and all that, then you can draw a direct line to you can stamp it down for so long before something like Stonewall right. happens. But it always swings, to, it swings back yeah, and forth. Yeah, and then and maybe the this is part. leading to that some sort back. of revolution, a cultural revolution in China, once again, that's, that's desperately needed right now. Very good. All right, let's take a break. But just before we do take that break, I have to tell you to check out our brand new podcast, Night Fever, hosted by James St. James. And it's about New York City nightlife in the 70s, 80s, 90s and beyond. And we've we've had four episodes so far. Diane Brill, Michael Musto, Lisa E., Peter Gation, Ernie Glam. And now, who's coming up next week, James? Walt Paper, the iconic club kid turned author of New York Club Kids, and he's coming on, and we are firmly in the 90s. This is all rave culture in EDM and uh, Clubland in the 90s. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can um, get it wherever you get your podcast, or you can watch it on WOW Presents Plus. And, oh, there- and I think you're doing yourself a disservice because you, my dear, and the radiant Randy Barbado are co-hosts. The fabulous Fenton Bailey and the radiant Randy oh, Barbado. Thank you, James. Just too modest to say. So. All right. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and Tom Campbell. And Blake. All right, then. We're counting down the top 10 things this week that made us go wow. We've reached number four. Number four. As you're more than aware, I often save the number four spot for our weekly rest in perfection. Uh, Someone uh, who's passed, who's uh, brought joy and love to our lives, to the arts. And this week, um, I want to wish uh, eternal rest to child actor Disney star Tommy Kirk. Oh, such a cutie, such a cutie, cutie patootie. Tommy had a very colorful life. He um, was a sad life, actually. He was a mouseketeer, uh, you know, with the net and all that in the classic time. Um, He then he also he I think he starred as one of the Hardy Boys because the Mouseketeers had Hardy Boy uh, adventures. uh And so he's in that, I think, again, with Annette Funicello. You know, he was he was. um, Yeah, he was the Hardy Boys. He was in Old Yeller. uh, Then he was in some of the most classic Disney films that even though they were shot in the 50s and early 60s before my time, they're part of my youth because they would be re-released and re-released. The Shaggy Dog, where a kid turns into a dog. The Absent-Minded Professor. Swiss Family Robinson was was a a family living in a treehouse. It was a freakout. Son of Flubber uh, with Fred McMurray. And, you know, Fred McMurray was son of Flubber and the absent-minded professor. And people always gave this incredible kudos to Fred McMurray's acting because he was so great with the kid. Tommy Kirk was the kid. He was doing pretty good acting, too. Um, yeah. There was a point in the early 60s. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You've also got... Um, uh, uh, Old Yeller. Babes in Toyland. Okay. And also, and then, the, okay, but we'll talk about his later career in a few minutes. Yes, but then Old Yeller is what happened. Have you ever seen Old Yeller, Fenton? It's about, no. a, it's about a golden retriever that has to be put down eventually because it has rabies. And you, you cop- as a child, probably as an adult, you copiously weep. You, you, it's not come it's, out your it's mouth. It's up there with Bambi's mother being killed as uh, top five traumas of every I childhood. Really, I think I have seen all the other. I can't, I can't, even just you talking about it is making me, 
I, I don't know. You blocked out. You blocked it out. You blocked yeah. out the. He also, you know, Tommy also uh, after the Mouseketeers, he went on to do a lot of early television. He did, you know, uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Loretta Lynn Show, Gunsmoke. He was on all of those shows, so he was sort of a ubiquitous face that everybody in the fifties and sixties grew up with, and everybody felt they knew Tommy Kirk, but they didn't know Tommy Kirk because Tom. Because, and some people are villainizing Disney, I don't know enough, well, Disney, he was gay, and he decided at 21 to be openly gay, but he, he also was dating, presumably, reportedly, someone who was 15. And when Walt yeah. Disney found out that he was gay and dating a minor, he broke his contract with him. Um, and, and he also, at the time, very close around the time, he got arrested for marijuana possession, and they found barbiturates on him. And well, but, but it wasn't just marijuana. He was at a gay party that oh. was raided by the police. And when the police came in, they were, uh, they raided, they, you know, they, they couldn't arrest everybody for being gay, so they found all this marijuana on everybody conveniently. So it was basically oh. a gay raid that turned into an arrest for marijuana. And I so think. that further took him down a peg or two in Hollywood's eyes. And yes. so he sort of his he went on the skids a little bit, a little bit, a lot. Yes. And 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 I've read interviews and, and, and articles where it says that he got sober in the 70s, that he didn't really blame people, wasn't bitter about his fall because he's also in some of the beach movies um, because he felt like he was an addict and those things happened. And it's, you know, it ended up by the, I think, uh, by the by the 2000s, he was part of like a DVD repackage of Swiss Family Robinson, you know, for oh. Disney and talking about it in the past. So it's horrible. That well, but also but then a... in, the, in the late 70s, 80s and 90s, he um, went on to open a carpet warehouse in the Valley that had commercials that it was, I'm Tommy Kirk for Tommy Kirk we- carpet warehouse, carpet remnants and da, 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 da. And it was for decades and decades that so. He did manage to make some money through the carpet. That I did not know. That's good news. Yeah. Okay. So rest in pieces, Tommy Kirk. In pieces. <laughs> carpet remnants. Rest. Rest in flubber. Uh, that yeah. was beautiful. Oh, but he was such a cutie, and it's it is so sad that people's lives could be ruined. You know, just yeah. The, by, but know. and his performances live on to this day, and that's a lovely thing. And it makes you realize, you know, how great it is that we're able to be gay. Number three, James. Number three. Number three, I'm reading a book, uh, Joe D'Alessandro, Warhol superstar, underground film icon, actor by Michael Ferguson. It is a very detailed chronicle of its 687 pages. Oh, my gosh. How is that film criticism. Blake Gottnick How wrote is that a thousand possible? pages about Andy Warhol, and yet you managed to get 600 <laughs> on Joe D'Alessandro? How? Well, Joe D'Alessandro, of course, was one of the most beautiful men the screen is that, that has ever been on the silver screen. He is ab- he is he, he, the camera just eats him up. I don't know if, if uh, how you feel about Joe. I've known Joan. Uh, I've known Joe a little bit here in how in Hollywood. I've met him a number of times. I've interviewed him a number of times. I wanted him to be on our night fever, but the fact of the matter is, is that he wasn't a party person. He was at the factory, but he worked there during the day. He cleaned up. He answered phones. After Valerie Solanas, he was a bouncer who made sure that the wackos didn't come into the factory and 
deal with Andy or anything like that. But, you should um, do Night Fever the day after, a special episode, the morning after. The day after. But he also he has a weird relationship with Warhol. One of the things that he hates the most is when he meets someone and the first thing out of their mouth is, tell me about Andy. And which is, I know what Fenton would do the minute the camera started rolling. <laughs> and he also hates when people would say, tell me about Edie, because he got to the factory in 68. Edie was gone in 67. He didn't know Edie. He also, um, he, uh, he had this unique, in- I've talked to him about this many times, where he was the first man to be objectified sexually in, in movie history, where you have someone like Brando, you have someone like Elvis, who are being sexually objectified, but he was the first naked male man on the screen. He was, you never had a naked male man who was being objectified by the audiences in the way that he was. He was the penis of the 1970s. I've said that to his face, and he gets a little irritated with me, but he had the face, the body, and the dick of the times, and it was something that was groundbreaking in the fact that gay men openly lusted after him. And he was one of the first pansexual characters on screen. He was, and it was interesting because his sexuality comes from an indifference to his partner. He doesn't care who he's having partners with. It's all about his narcissism and his gaze upon himself and the fact that we are always gazing at him and we don't care who now, his have you talked is. to him so about that? Lot, have you talked to him about that? I, I have I have talked to him and he he's very ambivalent about it. It's it's something that makes him uncomfortable. Still he's he's almost eighty years old now, but it yeah. still is hard for him to grasp the 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 how the magnet how magnetizing his beauty was and how how people it, it, it's a hard thing for him to realize how objectified he was so it's interesting in this book he gives lots of um he he, he sits down and talks about his career and it goes from like the loves of Dean and lonesome cowboys through flesh heat trash the the major ones of frankenstein dracula uh, bad, all of those. And then it goes on to, he had a very long career in Italian cinema afterwards and working with Serge Gainsborough in uh, France. And so he has a lot there and there's a lot of meat. And he is talking to Michael Ferguson. I think they're roommates. I'm not quite sure. Um, but uh, so it's a fascinating, fascinating book. It is a long, long, long book. But um, it's, he's just, I, I love Joe. I think he's just a fascinating guy. And I think we're so lucky to still have him around and still be able to talk about the factory yeah. days. And, and I think one that. thing you've got to say about Warhol, he was, everybody around him at the factory was fascinating. You could write books about every single person. And I think that his Yeah, book- and so much, of, so much of the early improv stuff you know, after Eat and Blowjob and all of that stuff, where it was just Viva and Andine and Taylor Mead and Joe, and they would all just improvise for hours and hours and hours. And he was able to give as good as he got, and he was just a, just a really neat guy. So this is a fascinating book if you get a chance, if you're into that sort of all thing. All right, awesome. Moving on to number two. Number two. I'm in London. Uh, I'm with Tom, actually, in London, although we're currently in separate places, but we're... And uh, I went to the theater, went to the theater. And uh, <laughs> it's a little scary, actually, because in, in the UK at the moment, you don't have to wear a mask. You, you sort of decide for yourself what's right for you. So you're in a theater where it's, um, there's no social distancing. And most people, frankly, weren't wearing masks. But I was there to see Cinderella, Andrew Lloyd's Webber 
Andrew Lloyd Webber's pandemic-delayed musical. Um, what is it about Cinderella that, that speaks to the times we're I in know, right now? Right? Because there seems to be a big Cinderella... Well, one of the things is... Okay, in this Cinderella, Cinderella is a kind of geeky outcast. She's kind of like a goth. She's like, um, like Billie Eilish. And then the fairy godmother is a plastic surgeon who gives her a makeover and, gl- and turns her pretty. Huh. And now it's... Is it set? Is it a period piece or is it set now? It's set in Belleville, in sort of France, in sort of it's sort of in a timeless setting. And okay, okay. So Prince Charming is a very key key character in Cinderella, right? But Prince Charming is missing yeah. at the beginning of Cinderella. No one knows where Prince Charming is, and instead we have Prince Charming's younger brother, who's Prince Sebastian. Now Prince Sebastian and Cinderella, they're really close. They're really good friends. Um, But then, after Cinderella gets her glow up, Prince Sebastian doesn't even recognize her. So when she goes to the ball and connects with Prince Sebastian, he doesn't like her. And so the whole fairy tale goes off the rails and is headed in a different direction. And then, spoiler alert, Prince Charming shows up at the very end and it turns out that he, he didn't die, he was gay, and he ran off with his male lover. So this clears the way for Cinderella to get together with Prince Charming's younger brother. I don't know. I didn't think it was very good. Everyone's raving about it. And But wait a minute. Well, well, but does Andrew Lloyd Webber have some, some uh, songs that are, that are going to be going down no, in no, history? No, no, no. I can really tell. No, no, no. I can really tell. And it was the interesting thing, though, is that it was set in the it's it's in the theater that was built for the opening of Cats. Remember Cats? And the novelty thing about this theater was that the first six rows of the theater could move around and become backstage so that you were sitting in a circular theater. You were looking at the audience. And of course, when Cinderella goes to the ball, all the seats move around. And that was exciting. But that's basically really pretty much all. Were you in the first six rows? Of I was going to say, what Fenton's telling us is he had very good seats. I know, because Fenton always gets the best Well, seats. you know, and so as we were back. rotating, you could hear people in the back saying, oh, I wish I was in that, that row. Or why is my chair moving? Oh, oh. And I was just like, yeah. oh, oh. So that's Cinderella. But, but really, there, there were no songs that are going to become classics. There's a you song think? called Bad Cinderella, and there's... Uh, and nothing really stuck for me, to be honest. But you know. does a chandelier fall from the ceiling at any point? Not that I recall. Oh, well, how can that be, Andrew Lloyd? <laughs> we'll be right back after the break with the number one thing this week that made us go wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report: Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom Campbell and James St. James and Blake. And we've reached the number one thing this week. Yes, James. The big, big, big story, Tom. Take it away. Number one. More Britney. Britney's dad, Jamie, not Lynn Spears, has been uh, removed from her conservatorship. Uh, and so that's supposedly one step toward freeing Britney, which I'm very uncomfortable talking about freeing Britney because I worry about Britney every single day. And that she's well. I hope she's going to be in a better position. I hope something gets worked out. I I don't know how to black and white this one. It feels really delicate. And my friend Abe posted, maybe we should just leave Brittany alone for a while. 
Well, it does there seem that, that there has been a, a, uh, there's been this this glut of Britney documentaries that feel very invasive and very wrong, and it feels like we do need to give her a little space. I do think that that the good thing is is that she has announced that she's engaged to her boyfriend, and that uh, I think that he's a very stable influence on her. No, you don't think so, no, Tom? You're giving the finger. No, I'm giving the ring finger like she did on. on oh, his... I thought you were. I thought you were flipping off the boyfriend, saying no, no, no. I no, wouldn't no. do that. Not to our. I, 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 so I want to double down. On what Tom said, you know that, that Abe Silver said, like maybe we should leave Britney alone. I think that the sort of the coincidental timing of a Netflix documentary, uh, Britney versus Spears, and then one on Hulu. Um, what is the one on it's Hulu? Like she's like? always being exploited. She's always being exploited. Leave yeah, her alone. And I, let her find I, I your do, peace. I do feel that some aspects of the Free Britney movement are actually merely a continuation of the where she was mocked and ridiculed and and humiliated in that way, I, I sort of feel the same thing is happening a bit. And I and I feel sometimes reading Britney's Instagram posts, she kind of is saying that. She's like, I watch these documentaries, they make me upset. You know, she I wish I wish she could get to but, a little Nas X but, position where she's just you know she speaks for herself but and by there's the no same one's token though I'm, I'm sorry, by, by the same token, though, I don't know that this would have happened had there not been the Free Britney movement, which brought so much to light about her father and her, the things that were going on with her father. You're absolutely right. It's not black and white. It just feels like there's a lot of Britney. I just wish there was some way, and, and these things take on a life of their own, but we just kind of, like, t- tone it down. Yeah. You know, that no, we, I, we step I, I, away, that we give her a moment. I, I agree with you, but I, I do think that there was something to the Free Britney movement that brought attention to the fact that uh, that this was going on. Now let her be free. Yeah, I agree. Well, Tom, and I, but I think, you know, it's a little bit like when celebrities are in some scandal or something and they ask for privacy and to be left alone and, and sort of you know that the one thing that will not happen is that they won't be left alone. You know, it's like... They're, they're going to give Lori Laughlin a new series is what they're going to do when a scandal happens. She's going to be rewarded for it. Well, we're out of time. I want to thank you, Tom. I want to thank you, James. And thank you, Blake. And thank you for listening, too. Um, this has been the WOW Report on Sirius XM. Um, same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow.